This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton to adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yo! Welcome into the House of L podcast. I'm Lawrence Holmes, and I have a treat for you today on the pod. We will get to our guests momentarily, but I'm very excited for you to hear this conversation and all the different directions with which this conversation went. Pod's been fun lately. We've been doing a lot of stuff with the Bears Brought that back. I wasn't sure if I was going to even still do some of the sports Aru stuff on House of L, but people seem to want it, and it seems to be warranted with all of the craziness around the Bears. And we'll keep doing our Bears postgame podcast. They've been doing very well for this very podcast. So we'll keep doing it. And who knows what else we will add to the mix. And thanks for your support of sports adjacent and thanks for your support of more than a white man's game with Maddie Lee. Both of those are doing really, really well for house of L. And the reason that I can do other podcasts is because I have great sponsors like David Hochberg. If you're looking to purchase a new home or you need someone to help you out and get through the lending process, team Hochberg is your trusted local lender. Check this story out. Dahlia, who's 27, a nurse, income 80 grand a year, purchasing her first home. She talked with an online lender who didn't answer her questions, so she called her mom for advice, which is a great idea. Dahlia's mom recommended she contact Team Hochberg, the only lender she trusted to help her only daughter finance her first home. Team Hochberg answered Dahlia's questions, talked her off the ledge multiple times during the process, and secured the mortgage on Dahlia's first home. So let's review. Dahlia went to an online lender. They didn't have any answers. She reached out to her mom. Her mom was like, you should call David Hochberg. Dahlia was like, okay, cool. So she did. And then she got her mortgage, and now she's happy in her home. 
Team Hockberg helped me as well as thousands of this podcast listeners get what they need done when it comes to the home buying process. If you don't believe me, call him. He will help you. 855-56-DAVID or 56david.com. Again, that's 855-56-DAVID, 56david.com. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender. NMLS number 112461. I feel like I've been listening to Gene Sparrow do radio forever, whether it was traffic or her doing voiceover work or her doing her own show and then having her own television show. The woman's done it all. She got six, seven, seven, eight, seven Emmys for her television show that she did on the U. She's always asked to come be a keynote speaker or an MC of like everything that you can imagine. Right now, you could check her out on V103. V103. Holding it down on the weekends and whenever else they need her to come in and do stuff. She's writing a book. Like, she's, she's dope. Everything you, you want to be in this business, she is. So I'm really happy that she had time to hang out with me and be on the podcast because her career arc is amazing. And what's really cool is she's not from here, but she's of here. And it's amazing what happens when you have someone who doesn't necessarily grow up in Chicago, but they come here and they make, themselves a real part of the city and she's done that through throughout the decades that she's been on the air here in Chicago I think that she's one of the most fascinating people in our business and it probably took me way too long to sit down and talk to her so I am rectifying that situation right now That's right. Jean said yes. And so she is on the podcast today, and I I couldn't be happier. So sit back, relax, and and check out this conversation with one of the real giants in our business. No, No cap. Like, she is a boss. And we talked about all the things that she's accomplished in her career and what she hopes to continue to accomplish and why she thinks helping others along the way is so important. It's my conversation with Gene Sparrow. Oh, wow. Well, I actually don't teach radio or broadcast, but I teach what we know from um, our career to help other people be successful because I believe that the one thing that separates people who make it whatever that definition is for them and not are the people who can express themselves. Like you can't lead a team if you don't know how to communicate your ideas, where you're going and how you're going to do it. Um, you can't sell anything without being able to talk effectively. You certainly can't market or promote. Like, I don't know anything we do in life that doesn't require us to communicate well. Yet, 
it is the thing that we struggle with the most as humans. And so when, um, so for me, it's important to see people get what they want. And, you know, as I'm sure you have, you've seen how many interns that, you know, are struggling to make it just in our business, but they don't necessarily have the skill set. They may have the talent, but they don't necessarily have the skill set, the discipline, or the understanding of what it is we actually do to get to where they want to be. And the ones who figure it out are the ones who are successful. But I think it's unfair to expect people to figure shit out on their own. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Can we keep it as real as possible? Okay, cool. Hell, so. All right. Because I was like, you know, I don't have my radio here. If I don't have my headphones, <laughs> if I don't have my headphones, if I'm not wearing a mic, anything is liable to fall, fall out of my mouth. No, that's totally okay. When did you think you you stumbled across the discipline aspect of it for you personally in your career where you had, you had made some breakthroughs of like this is what it takes to get to where I want to go? mentorship and guidance from really, really good managers. And it happened for me early on. Um, Elroy R.C. Smith, that's a name everybody should know who does radio, period, poo, point blank, full stop, end of discussion. Because Elroy was one of those program directors, one of those PDs who believed in developing talent and believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that the thing in music radio that makes people stay on a station is what happens in between the music. Um, Mm. As one of my colleagues likes to say, and I've heard it from several different ones, you you know, I don't get paid for what I play, I get paid for what I say. And that's one way of looking at it, but for Elroy, and I should take a step back. Elroy was the program director at WGCI in its heyday in the 90s. Not that they're not having a heyday now, um, but what we were to Chicago at that point and what we did at that point in time um, was pretty special because it was a cross section of all sorts of listeners and uh, everybody listened to us, you know, and I was proud to be part of that team, but I was even prouder. And, and now at this point in my career, I'm more grateful than anything because they, everybody there poured into each other, like that, you know, you talk about good teams, you know, and how everybody plays a part, just like a good sports team, um, for a station to be successful from the top to the bottom, people have to support each other. And it starts with the PD and the and the environment and the culture that he sets up. And Elroy, I mean, and don't get me wrong, he worked all our nerves because it would be, we would get a little piece of paper, I swear to God, like, watch, it would be this. This is what you would get. This is what you would see. It would be, you would see this in your, in your notebook. I mean, in your, uh, in your mailbox, like what I knew that was supposed to be my name. I knew that was see me, Ari, what fam, I don't know, but you knew some mess you did and that he wanted to talk to you about to fix. And like you would, sometimes there would be a stack of these bad boys in your box and you'd be like, shit, what did I do? (laughs) What did I do? What did I do? Who said something? 
Why I got to go to the principal's office? Right, exactly. But the thing was, a lot of times it wasn't about something you said wrong or something, because, you know, we knew what we were doing, but it was about fine tuning. And for him, it was all in service to our listeners, our, our, as, as our P1s, as we call them, your core listeners, over-serving your P1s. And I say that, and I teach that to my clients and my students to this day, like, who are you talking to? And if you are talking to that person and you know who they are, then how do you serve the highest, greatest good for them, not just you? And I think that that's the biggest mistake we all make, whether it's in the business or not. And so it would always be this little tweak that he was like, okay, could you have said this differently? Is there something that could have appealed to somebody more or more people or what have you? And, and damn, if he wasn't right most of the time. Why do you think that people, the fear of what, we do into you know a lesser extent speaking in front of people is such a scary proposition for folks i think all of us in the business are adrenaline junkies and we like it um and we will do anything to say whatever we have to say and we are in the minority but there i saw an interesting ted talk about this i i'm not it's the it's the only thing that has rung true about it because you know public speaking for the last, I think, 50 to 60 years has been the number one fear of Americans right up there with death and like spiders and snakes. Yes. Right? I guess the American Psychological Association does this survey every year of what Americans fear. I'm sure COVID's up there now. But, um, but public speaking has either been number one, two, or three consistently for like the last, I think, 50 years. I read an article about it a while ago and I was like, huh. Well, I guess I'm in the minority on this one, but I think that um, according to this TED talk, and then I'll say what I think, according to this TED talk, it's about the loss of face because it's an anthropological like leftover from our caveman days when being part of a group meant the difference between living and dying, surviving and, and not surviving, being alone in the wilderness without somebody to, you know, gnaw a, a, a dinosaur bone with. Um, and so that if you did something that kicked you out of the group, then that was, that was something you did not want at all costs. And the guy who did it, it was an anthropologist who did it, and he made the connection between, um, between losing face and being embarrassed in current day as being excluded from the group and feeling like you're not surviving or thriving anymore. It's, you know, it's that thing of not wanting to be made fun of, mm -hmm. you know, as a kid. And so I think that sometimes the fear of speaking, especially now with social media and all this other stuff, is that people are afraid to say what they really think because they they it may not be on the menu with the people that are there in group, right? Like if if a liberal person or a progressive person has a conservative thought about something, then they're not going to share that because their group doesn't approve of that. Uh, if you are a Bears fan, you're not allowed to or won't say things anti-Bears. You might go against the, uh, you know, the powers that be, you know, the McCaskies just a little bit because that's popular amongst Bears fans. But you're not going to, you know, you're not going to go hard, uh, you know, until somebody's losing. Right. Right. Cause, you know, because we hate bandwagon jumpers in Chicago. 
Period. Very much do. That is a thing. Whether you're depending, it's interesting because uh, it's so interesting that you said that because the general manager of the White Sox, with the White Sox doing really well this year, he had joked, "Hey, you know, hey Cubs fans, we know that things have been rough. So if you want to hear that, if you want to yes. come on through, well, we got some room for you." Uh, uh, and I just laughed because. I know how White Sox fans, as a White Sox fan, felt in 2016. I was like, you can keep your – I want y'all to have fun, have success. I'm good over here. And I'm sure that there were some Cubs fans that rolled their eyes and was like, no, we good. Oh, we're going to stay right over here on the north side, but thank you for your invitation. Right. And and it's this. It's the – Exactly. The, the golf clap. Absolutely. The polite, That's what it is. The, the polite, you do you, boo-boo, clap. <laughs> right. I'm happy for your, I'm happy for your success. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's, that's exactly what it is. You it's t- like when your ex gets married and you're like. They cute. They so cute together. They cute selves. And that's all you're going to get from, from, from any of us. That's that, right. Like that's, that's a Chicago thing for real. I mean, and I think New York fans are probably like that too. I don't know what other markets Philly. Uh, are like that. Philly. Oh yeah. 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 Philly. That John, that John up in Philly. Yeah. That's, that's for real. You, you had <laughs> mentioned the spaces between the song for someone who's done radio for as long as you have, who do you think are the best? Ooh at that part of it in music radio sure okay so my personal favorite is and always will be doug banks i'm with you on that i mean he's definitely one of the people that inspired me to even think about doing this for a living him and tom joiner i mean it was watching them work or i guess technically listening to them work the, the way that they were able to paint pictures of what was going on in the studio, the way they were able to tell stories. And again, it's different. And what I do, I have two hours, and it's me. I can play with everything that I want. But when you're talking about also adding in the element of putting music into that block of time, you have to be really good at telling stories to get it done. And you have to do it succinctly. Um, and I, I'm blessed to have, have, you know, learned at Doug's feet, you know, I was Doug's traffic reporter after Sybil left and went to work with, with Tom for his, for his show. And that's part of the reason why Doug is my favorite, because I got to watch it in person. And he, you know, the thing about Doug that I used to love was that, you know, he would come in and be like, all right, Jake. You ready to play radio? Because it wasn't work for him. And it's not work for any of us, I would imagine. Um, And if it starts to feel like work, it probably means it's time to hang it up. Mm -hmm. But um, the thing about Doug was that I noticed he took his play very seriously. So, you know, when play is a job, when you are delivering value that way, you learn how to structure it, right? Like a good kindergarten teacher. You got, you got to make sure the kids have their nap time. They got their play time. But sometimes you have to organize the play because there's always a couple kids that rock. But you got to bring them in. 
And if you, and the thing is, is if you don't have their attention, then that one person who's all whatever is going to take everybody with them. So sometimes it's about being a good ringleader. You know, it may look like a circus and it may look like everything is out of control, but it's very structured in that you, and you allow, you have this box within to, with, within which you can play. So what are you going to do? And I think the creativity becomes so much more like I hear people complain about, oh, I don't have this resource or I don't have that and blah, blah, blah. I think the most interesting things happen when you don't have a dime. When you're, look at Issa Rae as an example, you know, from awkward uh, black girl to insecure. You know, she went from not, I think not having, like just doing it with her friends on their phones and stuff and creating and writing just because they had it in them and it had to get out and they figured out how to do it. I think the same thing is true for radio, any kind of good creation, no matter how many resources you have, if you have these parameters, how can you bang up against as many of them to cover as many bases as you can to do it differently and better than you did yesterday? That's what I learned from Doug. And that's the reason why he's my favorite. I love all the others. I love Tom Joyner, LaDonna Tittle. Like that was my girl. Tittle gave me some of the best advice in my life. And it's just, and what Doug was, too, what was the mean, advice? Tittle told me, listen, listen, let me, <laughs> let me get my Tittle voice up. <laughs> listen, Jane, let me tell you something, girl. You got to have a plan A, B, C, and D lined up too. There's always some other shit you can do with this. She was right. Thousand percent, because that is exactly how I live my life. Like the one thing that ties everything together is that I like to talk to people. I'm curious about them. I want to make people's lives better. Like even if it's just at a dinner party. Oh, remember those? Um, but even if it's just that, like if we can sit around a table and laugh and if I can bring that kind of vibe to whatever show I'm on, that's what I'm trying to do. I love it. I call it what you're talking about. It's so great. Like, I feel like we're so on the same vibe. Chaos inside a structure. Like, I love that. Like, here's what it is. But we can play inside of here. We can do all sorts of stuff inside of here. But there, there are landmarks that we need to get to. Let's get to those and let's continue the journey of having fun inside of that. And you know who taught me, who helped me to see how important that was, was Steve Harvey. When I worked with Steve, Steve being a comedian and a bit of a rebel himself, the thing that he, I thought, brought to the table was that he saw what the format was. He saw what the, the, the real constraints of the medium were and then said, why y'all got these rules? Why, do you, why are we doing it that way? And a lot of times it's important because we, especially when you have something that's already established, right? A, a way of doing things. The way that you do it better often is by asking, why do we do it that? Why, why have we been doing it that way? And, and so his, his whole thing was, Gene, you do the business stuff. I'm gonna do the things in between and we'll figure it out. And he was like, and I'll learn as I go. And, um, and he did that really well. I mean, we went in. <laughs> yes, 100%. The, that, that is definitely the case. I, I've actually, the, I've thought about it. And inside of this podcast, I've talked with a lot of people who 
do traffic for a living. That I feel like you doing traffic is unique because of the audience that you were talking to. Now, I could be wrong. This could be me misremembering how you did traffic. But I feel like when I was a kid, when I was learning how to drive, that whenever I was getting traffic from you, it was in the places where we were. And that isn't always the case. Like, that was one of the things that I thought was interesting about talking about it. So I'd love to know, was that a thing that you were actually doing? And how long did it take you to get comfortable in knowing where everything was and how to get people from point A to point B? Wow. Okay. So my traffic, it's interesting. Nobody ever asks about the time I spent doing traffic. And I did a couple of tours of duty in traffic because that's how I started on NBC full time. I was doing entertainment news and then they had a traffic person that left. And then I took that person's place uh, in the mornings, in addition to doing the entertainment stuff I was doing. So I've done it on radio and television. So, all right, a couple different things. When it comes to when I was doing traffic for Doug and uh, LaDonna and, you know, the GCI family, and when, um, and I would, but I was working for shadow traffic. So I was working at the observatory at the John Hancock when it didn't have the tilt and all this other stuff. We, we were, we were in a glass bowl up there and people could see us doing traffic and that it was, it was kind of a cool thing, I guess. We just wave at the tourists when they came by. It was kind of interesting. Um, but that was by design. So I had several different stations that I did and I did different traffic for all of them. I had a station in Indiana where I talked about the roads in Indiana, accidents in that area, plus, you know, what, what at one point we called the Borman, um, 8094. Um, oh, wow. Wow. What was, what was the Ford before we, I can't remember because I remember oh the my name God. Of the Ford. I think we might've just called it 94. Yeah, we did. I think we might've just called it 94, but anyway, 57, 94, uh, the Borman, um, the Skyway, you know, the toll road. 65, like the top of 65. Exactly. So I did that for my, I think it was, oh God, what was the name of the station? Was it YCA, WYCA? I can't remember, but anyway, um, and I did something different because I also did traffic for Czech Copic on um, MVP. And so that was a much more classic, because like, if you think about the map of Chicago, so like if the lake is right here, you think about it as going from Northwest down to South. So you would do all of the expressways first, then you would do all of the tollways. And so if it was the wider the audience was, and I don't mean whiter, I mean wider, wider. as far as geographically speaking, you just covered the whole gamut. You went Edens, Kennedy, uh, let's see, wait, how did I do it? Edens, Kennedy, Ike. Stevenson, Dan Ryan, 5794. And then if there was something happening on 80, 80, 8094, you would do that. And then you would do the tollways, tri-state first, because it's the main one. Then the J Jane Adams, which at that time I think was just called 90, and then um 88 and 355 when they finally built that. But like I think when I was doing traffic, 355 was like that long. Um so you know, that was to serve a broader audience. But through the insistence, I think from the from Elroy, he was like, I will listen to ship 
is on a Dan Ryan, 57. And what, that's what he said, even if there are other places, this is where they're concerned about, especially when I did morning traffic, because I also did traffic when Tom Joyner's um, morning show launched nationally. Uh, and he was on GCI, I was like the news and traffic person in the interstitials, the local interstitials. And so um, for that, it was just like, okay, how are our listeners commuting? And for, so for them, the priority was always, you know, South side first, West side second, uh, unless there was something big and reversed and then um, the South side tollways. And so it was just to serve to, again, this goes back to that, that, that philosophy of super serving your P1s. If you don't overserve your audience, you're giving them a reason to go someplace else. If you give your audience, whoever they are, and this is true of everything in life, if you give them everything that they need in one place, they don't have any reason to go anywhere else. They want you. When it comes to FM radio, is there any part of you that's concerned about its future? And here's why I ask. I've talked to a couple of jocks on, on FM stations, and I keep going back to when I was younger, FM was a place where music got broken for me. Like, I would learn about an act or uh, learn about something that was out there. But now I have my entire catalog of music on my phone. So I think the best DJs are the ones that, like you said, the spaces between the song, like, are able to create a story. I love the DJs over at, at XRT, for example. I think that they're really good at doing that. V103, I think, is really good at doing that. But is there any part of you that worries that it will be easier to replace FM DJs now than maybe any time in our past? I don't worry about too much because what's going to happen is going to happen. So I'm going to start with that. I do believe that the industry will still shake out and morph based on technology and people's listening preferences. Uh, I also believe though, and I think COVID has taught us this in the most stark way, that connection human connection is always a driving force of us as human beings, that connecting with other humans is a, it's a primary directive. And so as long as that piece is still in there and, and we as talent are serving the needs for connection in between the music, um, I think it'll, I think it will still change, but the people who want that and know that that's what they want will tune in. Um, the same way that AM, that FM didn't kill AM completely, the same way that cable didn't kill broadcast, the same way that the internet didn't kill all of it. Yeah, it's taken a chunk out and there's always adjustments, but everything we have in our industry, I don't know. The only reason why you should be worried is if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing and not watching the trends and responding to it. I think every television station in the country is regretting not getting on streaming earlier 
because they were so concerned about you know holding on to and i and i've been in these conversations at multiple different places and talk to friends in other markets where it is and they all go ooh maybe we should have put stuff on the internet earlier and then you end up chasing all the people who went to the internet to get their news and we're like oh you know what have you and so like the the big guys could have owned that they, because they had the infrastructure to do it. You didn't, you don't have to have a Yahoo News or a Vice News or, because, and look at Vice as an example, started online, ended up on TV. Yep. No doubt and, about and, it. And there's, I mean, and there's a whole, I, I guess, story behind where it is and where it's going. But I think that that's really the salient point is that if you're not paying attention to what's happening and responding to the needs of the, of the people that you serve and and here and here's the thing this is and this is my um, kind of line in the sand if you don't think you are serving the people that is your audience that are your part of your audience then mm, you're probably not going to find too much success because if it's just about feeding you people are going to get tired of that Hopefully this is the last time you hear this ad, because with Chime Checking Account, features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts, or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals24. That's chime.com goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com slash disclosures for details. These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. One of the things I've always loved about you as talent is your ability to connect with the audience. And I don't mean just what you were doing on radio or television. You were in these streets. You know, like that is significant for you to, in the time when one could actually touch the audience, um, you were out touching the audience. Why was that a, a building block for the way that you do your thing? I think it's multifaceted because I don't know that that was on purpose to be a hundred percent honest. Um, because I mean, remember, like when I started on in radio here, I was 21. Like I was fresh out of college. I had only lived in the Chicago area for like four years in school. And luckily I had family here. So I went to the South side. I went to the West side. You know, I knew what the city was like. 
but I didn't know shit, man. You don't know, like literally you get your college degree and you come out and you're like, so a lot of that choice was just because that's how we did it. Like that's how things worked at GCI. Like being in the streets was the whole point. You know, we had street teams. Like it's so funny when I hear um, corporations talk about having street teams now because uh-huh. they are and they do and it's smart. Uh, but like street teams were strictly, strictly like a hip hop and and ra- black urban radio thing. A&R stuff. It was just, it was promotions. It was, and it was whether you were in the record business or radio, like that was our culture. Street teams are our culture. We want to touch people. And because that was a priority for GCI when I started, um, it became a priority for me and I liked it. I mean, the only way that you ever know what's really going on, because you have people that call in. And I remember my, I remember Elroy told me one time, he was like, look, the, the, the percentage of people who call in, they're about 10%. You know, every one person represent about, re- represents about 10 people in your audience was, you know, what he said. But the, uh, the number of people who actually pick up the phone to call a radio station outside of trying to win something, and even them, it's a small margin. You have to really understand who is listening to you. And now we have much more data to do that. But back in the day, we didn't have, it wasn't, there wasn't no big data. We, big data was going out to, you know, um, 79th and King, you know, 79th and, and Stony, you know, but going to the, uh, God, what was the venue over there? The, uh, the Regal, the new Regal theater. That's right. Going, going to, you know, being at Lambs or being at Edna's on the West side, or, um, you know, having a conversation about who had the best, you know, soul food. You know, was it, uh, what was it, Queen? Queen of the Sea, wait, Queen? Oh, Lord, my memory, I'm getting old, Lord. <laughs> oh, Jesus, I can't remember. It's, it's, I was having a conversation with a colleague and we were talking about, I kind of dig like some of these like nouveau soul food places that have popped up, like Virtue and High Park, for example. Love Virtue, and Eric's amazing, so yeah. Yeah, and- and it's just funny to me because this person was like, well, you know, and it was a white colleague. And he's like, well, you know, like, it's not like Edna's. And I was like, no, hold up. Like, the thing is that these are these are Edna's kids and grandkids. And they're taking that old stuff. And they're, they're also going to culinary school. And they're adding the stuff to the old stuff to make new stuff. So, yes, it is still soul food. But I love right. that some of these places that have popped up peaches like you know virtue like all of these spots where there's a little there's a twist on the stuff that we grew up loving right and you know what the thing that's interesting about that it's all in a continuum and and if we're going to be real honest all of the uh fine state dinners at the white house all of um people's you know lovely little cocktail parties in the 50s and 60s when people had help help that was in the kitchen looked just like Edna. Facts. And they knew how to cook the other stuff too. And I remember having a colleague, a conversation with one of my high school friends who's, oh God, I can't remember the, the whole story, but the woman who took care of them, an older black woman, um, 
I want to say Emeril Lagasse was a friend of the family because you know I'm from Louisiana. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think everybody knows that. So uh, Emeril Lagasse was a friend of the family and he came over to eat and he had this woman's gumbo and he basically appropriated her recipe. Like he went in the kitchen and hung out with her and stuff and she told him what to do. And that's the reason why, you know, that's that's their family story. I have no idea how true it is because the veracity of a story actually doesn't matter to me as long as it's really good. Um, especially if it's not purporting to be facts. But I think I think the whole point of that is, is that that has happened. That, you know, people, our people have had things stolen from them and that the things that we create ourselves are cheapened by those who have stolen and so say elevated what we've given them because we so damn generous. That's interesting. You know what? Here's a fun story for you since you like stories. I found this out maybe six, seven years ago. Big fan of like Hub 51. It's one of my favorite places to go, right? It's a Let Us Entertain You restaurant. I know the Melmans. They've done stuff with my radio station. What I didn't know is that my grandmother was a cook in for Rich Melman's dad at the first restaurant, Ricky's. And so I was talking to my mother about this. Like, we had gone to, because they do, like, a crazy, like, Father's Day brunch. And I took my dad, my brother and I took my dad out there. And my mother was like, you know your grandmother worked for the Melmans. I was like, no, I didn't. And she started to tell me all about it. And I'm like, ain't that something? The world, Chicago is one of the smallest places. Let me tell you. One of my friends said to me, who was from Chicago when I first came up here and was at Northwestern, he was like, the world is this small. He had a little piece of paper. And then he was like, (laughs) this is Chicago. He was like, it's this big city of almost 8 million people in the DMA. And he was like, you will run into the same everywhere you go. Yep. And yeah, big facts. And, but you know, I'll say this about... This, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm sensitive to it because I do love food so much. Um, but literally when I go to restaurants that are mainstream and I taste, I, I there's a taste, there is a taste that happens. And I go, who, who grandmama up in the kitchen? Facts. And I guarantee you half the time, the uh, server will be like, well, it's not the grandmama, but you, I, as, and my daddy used to call it be a touch by the color brush. Um, <laughs> cause you know, you know, cause I mean, in Louisiana, you got people that could pass, but they probably the most black, you know, like black acting people you ever go. You like, who's that white? No, this is not a Rachel Dolezal all moment. They just real light skin. That's all. And my dad was like, you know, they've been touched by the color brush. My dad got real confused when he came up here and he met people who he thought were black. And he was, I was like, dad, because he got familiar I was like daddy (laughs) Spro was not the one because he was just like what what I mean because like you know when you grow up and especially when you grow up in a Creole family where you got everything from somebody really dark skin that look you know that looks like they've never been diluted to somebody who got blue eyes and blonde hair and they open their mouth and you're like Wow. <laughs> oh, okay. 
I see what you're doing. Um, but like, that's our normal. And, and for many black families, it isn't normal, but it's not acknowledged in the same way. Right. You're right. And so, but, but when it comes to food, I can always tell, I can always tell. And more specifically, I can also tell region because I'll go, okay, somebody's Southern grandmama is in the kitchen mm-hmm. or somebody's Louisiana grandmama is in the kitchen, you know, and that sort of thing. Cause there's a, there's a, fla- a flavor profile that you like. You like that's mm-hmm. South Carolina right there. Exactly. Exactly. You and you can tell. And and I haven't watched it yet, but that net I think that's what that Netflix documentary about food that just got re-upped is all about. And it has people in their feelings because for most cultures, regardless of the ethnicity, food is the thing that brings everybody together. It connects us. There's no doubt about that. I, I yep. want to wanna... answer your original question. You know, my ADHD kicks in. Yeah. But yeah, okay, you, you're definitely right. on it. I, I want to ask you about me and you. Um, you and me? You and me. Me and you. <laughs> you and me. You and me? Or the show? You, wait, me and you? Yes. Right no, or no, not me and you. I, I want to talk about you at the you. That's okay, how you I, and me. You, you and, and Melissa. Yes. And, and the show that you guys did. When did you guys click? And how much fun was it? Because it looked like y'all was having a ball. We were. Um, So Melissa and I, I started that show as like interstitials between the program and that was already there. Just something, you know, another, that's another one. Cause y'all say this, Neil Saban, brilliant programmer when it comes to television, look at what he's created with MeTV and all the other stations that are, you know, the, the, the plus stations that happen and, and, genius, genius TV programmer, especially when it comes to the old school stuff. Um, But he was like, well, I give him a reason to leave just to get the weather or whatever. So we don't have you in there. And then that turned into a show. I had to leave to have surgery. Um, uh, Right when they started, we started going to like half hour programs in between the the comedies that were airing. And so Melissa um, had done some stuff with the promotions department and, and, and programming before, and they were like, let's bring her in. And when she came on set for me to hand off to her, even though we had met before, Um, That was like our first time on air together. It just clicked like right away. Our chemistry was just really, really good. It, I think we had some adjustments to get through because we're both used to leading shows, but we've, we also both had been, you know, sidekicks and co-hosts. So it is different um, partnering where, you know, you're both equally um, important to the show and that it's not one person's name on the show, it's both of your names. And a lot of times that does not, people, programmers won't do that for women. And um, I think that that's what made it fun is because our show was for women and that's what we were doing. And we were, our friendship was growing on on that show as it progressed as we got to know our viewers. And that's why we had that much fun because, you know, we both like the same things. I mean, you know, you pour a glass of wine. We're like, yeah, here we go. <laughs> we both like food and we're not judging. We, we're curious. I think curiosity and a willingness not to waste anybody's time to make sure that every moment counts and to know that you can start your day off 
with some good news and not and be aware of what's going on in the world and talk about it, but not dwell on it. You know, that's how that's still the same philosophy. I think we both have taken back to iHeart. Like she's on, she's back on the light. I'm on V on the weekends. I don't know why she went back to every day, but that's on Missy, not on me. <laughs> I feel like I, I'd have to go back and actually look and like timestamp it. But I feel like Kathleen and Holder kind of, they, I feel like they took a trip to Chicago and they were like, oh, look, look at what you know, they're you know doing. What? They were before us. They were before us. And when, when we were on, people tried to make that comparison to us and we're like, no, I mean, we see why it's a black girl, white girl, you know. No, no, no. Whatever, I don't, but- I don't mean, I don't mean them being paired up. I mean, the level of fun and perhaps a glass of wine that would often make it onto the set of their show. I feel like I saw it locally first. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if that, I think that those two things morphed at the same time. And I think that, cause here's the thing, when you got a good girlfriend, you just gonna sit there. And if y'all both drink wine, then the wine is gonna get open. And when the wine gets open, you start talking. And then you're gonna snack and you're gonna do things and and whatever. And you're and I think that both of us had gotten to points in our careers where we knew we knew what we wanted to do for our viewers. Because Why it was you, what we, we had done for our listeners. That's what that's exactly where I wanted to go with you. Why is it that you think that there there kind of was a run of television programmers looking for radio people to do television shows because we can run our mouths and we don't have to be tied to prompter um most of the people as talented as everybody i've ever and i've learned so much from from you know i was really green when i i did tv like you know they plucked me out and were like you want to try and do this (laughs) um and thank god i picked up on it but I think that one downfall that happens for a lot of people who've been, especially anchors who've been around for a long time, they need to have a script. A lot of them, not all of them. um, And especially at a certain period in time. And I think that there was this, uh, A, you already come with an audience that is loyal, right? If you're coming from radio. But then the other piece of it is, you know, if everything goes to shit, that (laughs) <laughs> there will still be something on air. You can because, tap dance. Exactly. And, and, or pirouettes on point, honey, and just twirl your way around the studio. It's like, and because the thing is, is that maybe it's a lack of inhibitions. Maybe it's a lack of shame. I don't know. Like we're not afraid to look stupid. That's fair. And, and to make fun of something or to make fun of ourselves because there's not the same, even though I think our ethics when it comes to how we uh, disseminate information to our you know, core listenership or viewership, like we have the same standards that any, any television journalist does. It's just, we, don't, we didn't have that title, but, but it's done in a way that encompasses all of who we are. Like we're going to bring our opinions when they're appropriate. We're going to, and not be afraid to say them and not trying to choose just the right word. We have a, a point of view that we have gotten paid for. And I think that that's something very different than when you are um, in a situation where you have to have the appearance of not being biased. 
because I do believe that's an appearance because we all have biases. We all have points of view. Fairness is what we should be going for. Facts and fairness. And if you can state an opinion that is fair, like I disagree with X. However, I see their point. It's just not mine. That's a very big difference than using, you know, the 50,000 watt, you know, megawatt, uh, 50,000 watt bullhorn that you've got to make a point that is damaging and not respectful of other people's opinions and the fact that they exist. Because a lot of times we get so caught up in what the hell we believe that we don't actually listen to what other people are, are believing as well. And if you could just be like, okay, wait, who was it? Chris Rock, who did a joke about this. It was like, if people would just stop believing stuff and start thinking it, then you wouldn't be so attached to it and you could let it go and move on to the next thing. You wouldn't have to be so dogmatic in, in your thinking and that it's one of, I think it's one of the biggest problems that we have with discourse overall is that everyone has their tribe and they don't stray. This is the point that you made earlier about you have someone who might be liberal that has some conservative views on particular issues and they keep their mouth closed on those instead of expanding the the conversation so that there could be a a way of finding some middle ground like we're all very used to just kind of circling around our own point of view and it doesn't lead to a lot of great discourse in my opinion I agree 1000%. And you know what? And something else just dawned on me. I think that a lot of us, at least most of the people I know in radio, um, we're, we're, I don't want to say independent thinkers because that's not the right word, but we're definitely observers. And many of us are kind of outsiders, but insiders. You know what I mean? Like, I 100% like, know what you mean. We have the inside track on a lot of stuff, but we're just like, if this is the inside track, we're here, maybe even all the way out here. And we like it there. And that's the thing. It's like, I think that when you like being kind of a little bit on the outside, it's easier for you to take chances and do things that other people might not. What was it like for you when they told you that the show was ending? Oh, man. Let me tell you something. Um, I didn't like the way it ended because they didn't let us say goodbye. Um, I hate when people do that because it's kind of like, you really think I'm going to fuck up my brand to shit on you? Fam. Like, I understand wanting to cut it clean and all that other stuff, but dude, like, I've spent my whole life with these people. These are my people. My audience. I'm just letting you have them. And I feel like that about any station. This is not just about the you. I, and, and the thing is, is that the, some of that audience, there's people that I have absorbed that are already there, but my people are my people. I know because I see them in Target. I know because I see them when I'm, you know, when I'm at Walmart. I know because I see them when I'm at the Mario's Italian Ice. I see them. They come up to me. They tell me. And the thing is, is that if we can't share those people and respect them enough to say, you know what, we're moving on, having our separate ways. You can, I can put, I can put some icing on some shit if you want me to, even if we don't get along. That's the only thing about that that ever bothered me was that they didn't let us say goodbye to our list, our viewers. I hated that. 
Um, but it was it was heartbreaking when when the show ended because it was I mean it was the typical situation we got a new boss who didn't you know um, like the direction of of where the show was or what have you and didn't didn't believe in it and that's you know his opinion you know what have you but what I didn't what I think frustrated me a lot and and this is a, a and this is no slam on anybody that's there I think it is just the nature of the business that people don't listen to talent that programmers don't often listen to talent until it's too late and it's like you have these two women who have one and not just one but like one one um in mornings for decades in this city and you're not going to listen to us about what our audience says. And yes, there were some moments when people listened to us. And that was when we were doing good. And when they didn't. And, and there's another layer of where when, you know, men are programming for women. Not that men cannot, but the men who do best when they are programmed for a female audience is because they're listening to their wives and they're listening to the female talent that they have. Or they're just tapped into their feminine, you know, energy and get it. How did you deal with it? Deal with which part? The, um, the, the, the show ending, you not being able to say goodbye. Like, what was the process that you went through after that? <laughs> um, immediately after that, I went to... Um, Soho House with Missy and we killed a bottle of champagne because the last the last few months were not pleasant. Um, and so we just celebrated that we made it through, that we did our best and you know we moved on. I started my business. Um, I had already been doing some consulting and I had finished my graduate program at Northwestern right before, like the year before that, two years before that happened, a year and a half to two years before that happened. And I had already started doing some executive ed for them, like one-off things. I wasn't adjunct yet. Um, and I had, you know, a few clients that I would do some consulting for, what have you, and that worked out well. And I was also super focused on my dad at that point. My father had been diagnosed with dementia the year before, and I had made the decision to leave him in Louisiana to let him live where he was comfortable because bringing up here, you know, could have uh, advanced his disease quicker, uh, according to his doctors. And so I was commuting back and forth between Chicago and uh, my hometown of Louisiana. Uh, New Iberia, if you need to know, um, to take care of my dad. So I wasn't really, I was like, oh, okay. I cried. I was upset, but I was like, it was time. And, you know, we did everything we could. And I wish that we could have said goodbye, but, you know, I have my social media and people were like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> I'm like, you know what? We good. We good. And I mean, um, it gave me the seed money to start my business because they had to pay out my contract. Like I still had a year left on my contract. So, you know, I chill. And because I already had permission to do my voiceover work and uh, radio in my contract, because I was doing that when they hired me, um, when, when the iHeart folks came back and were like, you know, my, my boss now used to be one of my coworkers, fellow part-timer at GCI back in the day. And he was like, so Jean, you wouldn't want to come back and do radio, would you? As a matter of fact, I would. And would you look at that? And look at God. 
And so, and because the thing is, is that radio, like at that point when he called me, I'd already started my business. And man, let me tell you something. It's entrepreneurship ain't no joke. And you, I, I had spent my life being structured around being in a studio at a particular time every single day. Mm. I had no idea how to schedule myself without having to go to a studio every day. Like there would be days I wake up at noon and go, what the, what just happened? And go, and then be up until one o'clock in the morning trying to catch up with, with stuff. Like I had, I was like unmoored, but I, but that anchored when I started that, when I started the Saturday show that I was doing, I was first, at first I was doing afternoons. When I did that, it anchored my week and I had a win every week because that was something I knew I could do. With entrepreneurship, I, I felt like I had a failure every day. I was like, what? Oh, ooh, okay. I won't do that next time. The learning curve was steep and quick, but having a guaranteed win every week helped to keep me going. I really appreciate you talking to me. I really do. This was You're delightful. Welcome. This was so, so fun. And every time I hear you on the radio, I'll be driving. I'm like, I just smile. And I'm just like, oh, good. it's just so great. It, it feels like you're in the right spot. It it's comes across. Because, it's because I'm at the right spot in my life right now, period. Um, losing my dad last year to COVID, um, going through COVID, as a small business owner um, and still being here and still being in business and thriving and paying attention to my mental health. Like, thank God I needed to start therapy before my dad died because his declines were really messing with me. Um, I'm just in a good place. And, and I think that the more we all focus on who we are and where we're at, the better off we're going to be. And the better we're going to do everything it is that we're supposed to be doing here. Because we all have a purpose. It's just whether or not you're fulfilling it and whether or not you're making the choice to. Being able to talk with Gene about all of this stuff was, is great. It's so fun. I'm such a big fan of hers. And I'm so happy that she had time to make all of this stuff happen. And you know, it's weird because, you know, it's not like Jean's really that much older than me. But it's one of those things where you go, this is someone I grew up listening to. And it's the truth. Like, I, I grew up listening. I, I definitely grew up in this business listening to Jean Sparrow. And being able to work with her a little bit on the television front was delightful. And you heard why, like you heard why she's always been someone who has been able to have their finger on the pulse of what's going on in our city and our world. And she just, she's just strong, man. Like she's just, she has a great vibe and she commands a room and she commands the microphone. I wish I, I could have shown you like her setup that she had in the Zoom because it it's functional and it's beautiful and that really vibes like everything that she is as a broadcaster and as someone the young broadcasters and, and not just broadcasters can look up to so I'm really happy that she had time to hang out with me and be on the podcast and I love talking to FM people 
I really love it. And and getting their take on where our business is and where our business is going. And she's one of the best that's ever done it. So I also love, like, honestly, I love people who have transitioned from radio to TV. Gene Sparrow, Robin Baumgarten, like, I love that. I love when you see people like that succeed in the different medium. And you take the skills of someone who understands how to tap dance if you need to, that can that isn't prompter reliant and someone who's got some personality and that personality comes through. And Jean is definitely one of those people. So lots of gratitude to her for coming through the podcast. And I feel like we could have done like three parts. (laughs) So I'm going to invite her back on to the podcast at, at a time of her choosing. But she was very, very gracious with her time. And I appreciate her having the time to come and hang out with me on House of L. As always, we got to thank our people. We thank David Hochberg for all of his hard work and him being a major sponsor of our podcast and what it is that we are trying to do. If you're buying or trying to refinance a home, you need to call him, 855-56-DAVID, or visit 56david.com. He can help you. He helped me with my house and my other house and then my other house. So basically, whenever it is that I bought a house, David Hochberg was there to help me wade through the waters of financing. And if you want someone like that on your side, hit him up, 855-56-DAVID, or visit 56david.com. That'll do it. I want to thank everyone who has been listening to the podcast in all of its forms. Those of you who are listening to all of our bear stuff that we do now that the season is back, maybe I'll add some White Sox stuff in. We'll see. Right? I should probably add in some White Sox stuff. Correct? All right. I'll do that, and we'll add that to everything else that we're doing. And obviously, this Justin Fields story is uh, crazy right now i hope that you have a wonderful wonderful day no matter what time of day you are listening to the podcast thanks so much for your support of house of l please subscribe write a review it actually helps with the placement for the podcast so more people can find it and if you want to email the podcast house of l podcast at gmail.com is the way that you can do it i will talk to you next time You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte after getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals24. That's Chime.com goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.